Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning again, everybody. It's good to be back with you again after a few minutes hiatus over there, but uh, today we're going to finish up, as Pastor Charlie said, we're going to finish up on our series um, on uh, Honest Answers, and we're going to tackle the topic today of what happens after I die. And uh, as last week when I talked on, you know, why doesn't God do something about evil, uh, you really can't do it justice in one Sunday morning, at least from a teaching perspective. And so I will take you through three aspects of this that uh, what happens to believers, and in one case, what happens to an unbeliever after they die. So um, we all know one thing. We all know eventually we're going to pass. Any amens on that, right? We all have an expiration date, a pool date on us, and that's just coming for everybody. But what I want to do by way of introduction is I want to talk about something before we die that many people deal with, and I just want to brush it a bit, and that is... Um, the one thing is a lot of people struggle with is the actual fear of death. They're actually, they have this great fear of dying. And we really saw this come into play um, during the pandemic when many people, including Christians, were just really running in fear of death. You guys remember that, right? There's a tremendous fear of death out there during this time. When my wife was in the hospital those 11 days uh, with COVID, it was really bad. I mean, when she came out, I asked her, I go, are you ever afraid of dying? And Because, uh, you know, you can't go in there at that time. They wouldn't let you in. You, we went to the hospital, dropped her off, and see you later. You go home now, and she stays. But I asked her, were you ever afraid to die? She goes, no, I wasn't afraid to die. I goes, what bothered me was I just wanted to be with my family, and I couldn't be with my family. And that really caused a traumatic thing to happen in her life. Um, but people have asked me, you're not afraid to die? And I, I, I don't think I am. I never really, I'm not contemplating. I wasn't afraid during the pandemic. I wasn't, any of those things, I'm not afraid to die. I, I mean, do you want to die? No, I don't want to die. Okay, let's get that one straight. I, I'd like to live, you know, I'm 47 now. I'd like to live 20 more years. And I wish I could say 47 again. But anyway, I'm 67 now. And um, I'd like to live another 20 years. And by the way, if you're first time here, I don't dye my hair. Uh, just, uh, if you want to come up and see the gray hairs, I, I make sure they leave some white. No, I'm joking. Um, but I don't dye. But uh, I'd like to live another 20 years. And the reason for that is I'd like to see some of my grandkids grow up, get early 20s, maybe see a couple of them, maybe get married, see the, the six that I have right now. I'm hoping for three more before it's all said and done. Um, I'm, is that bad or something like that? I have six, six. Yeah, I want three more. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, it's going to be three more, I think. And, um, and so, um, because I just waved my arm and said, I want nine. No, I didn't say that. And so, uh, I just like to see that. I'd like to see them grow up. I want to see them graduate from high school. I want to see what they become. I want to, I want to be part of the influence of Jesus Christ in their life as they develop. I want, I want to be that person in their life. So, I want to, I want to do those things. And when I segue out of the senior pastor here in a couple of years and Pastor Charlie takes over. You'll still see me once a month preaching up here in the men's fellowships. But I'd like to start an adult child of alcoholics groups up there because I'd like to help people. That's what I that's my forte, man. Adult children of alcoholics. That's what I am. That's what I've come out of. There are 80 million of us in America, most of them in denial and will never go to a group, but we'll walk around with 18 dysfunctions that they think are normal and they're just not normal. So I'd like to help, you know, people like that. I'd like to write more. I'd like to travel more. So I'd like to get 80 more years. So I, I don't want to die. But I don't think I'm afraid to die at all. And let me tell you a little snippet of why I'm not afraid to die. In 1 John 4.18, this is a writer, John, one of the 12 original uh, Jesus apostle disciples. And he says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out what? Fear. That's an important statement. Because fear involves say punishment that's interesting and the one who fears is not perfected in love and this is God's love now first let me say pull out a middle piece there see the one who fears fear involves punishment 
When you walk in fear, fear is a retractor. It's something that limits you because there's this belief that something bad's gonna happen. Fear involves punishment. Something bad's gonna happen. And when your life is gripped with fear, you're filled with the anxiety that something bad's gonna happen, right? If you deal with the fear of failure, you may come up with great ideas, but you'll never step out on them because you'll talk yourself out of it because you think something's gonna go wrong in that, in that endeavor in your life. Now, with that said, fear involves punishment. Many people just fear death, but here's why I don't fear, because there's no fear in love, right? Now, I know that the greatest um, visual example that God ever gave me of his love toward me is the cross that Jesus went to. Would you, everybody say amen to that? I mean, if I never, if God never did another thing in my life for me, and I can't complain because he already did the greatest thing. That proves his love for me, the God-man, that's the gospel, the God-man, Jesus' deity. He goes and he dies on a cross, brutal death, carries my sins, bury him, three days later rise from the dead. That's your gospel right there. That's what saves a person right there if you believe that. Um, so I know he loves me, and so I, I'm not gonna worry because I know he loves me. Now, when I do a funeral, um, uh, which is, I, I've done, I've done 200, over 200 funerals in my lifetime, if you can believe that. Um, I share this verse at almost every funeral uh, for a follower of Christ. I did again this past Friday, two days ago, because I, I eulogized someone from church here. We've lost about five or six great guys in our church in the last six months and leaving behind widows. So it's like, it's been a tough six months. These were great, great men. And um, I, I share this verse for the believer. I say, Paul's speaking this. Paul's, you know, he's the guy that hated Christians, murdered Christians, didn't want anything to do with Christians. And, and he's highly, he's a brilliant man. But then Jesus appears to him. He's not one of the 12 disciples. And he appears to him and he says, uh, and, and so Paul becomes a follower. He plants churches. He writes 13 New Testament letters. But here's what Paul says near the end of his life. And I love to share this at a believer's funeral. He says, for I, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. What is Paul initially saying in that verse? He's dying. This is the end of his life. He knows he's going. But notice what he talks about. He's, he calls his death a departure. And that's an interesting word that Paul will use in his life, near the end of his life. Because the word departure is the idea of a soldier um, packing up his tent put it in his backpack, put it on his back, and then marching five, 10 miles down the road, taking the pack off, getting the tent out, setting the tent up again. And that's the word Paul uses. So when he's talking about his death as a follower of Christ, he's saying the death is a movement. It's a transfer. It's one location to another location. It's not an end. And so when you start thinking about things like that, you realize, okay, do I really have to fear death? No. Because all that happens in the death for a believer is, I'm moving from one location to the next. Any amen on that one? And the next location is better than this location, as we're going to see in a bit. Now, I want to I use you. Can I use you all as guinea pigs this morning? Yes or no? Okay, I'm going to do a visual, but I'm going to use your face as the visual. Okay, are you guys ready? You promise you'll do what I tell you to do? Okay, come on, man. You got to help a guy. Help a brother out here, man. Will you, okay, here's what I want. It's very simple. Here's what I want you to do because in the transfer, I want you to think about this. I, I did this to my teenagers back when I was a student ministries pastor in the 80s. I've never done it since, but I thought, I'm gonna do it again. See if it, see if it plays out. I want you to look straight forward. Now, I want you to look, don't move your head, just look down at your nose. Look on each side of your nose. You see your nose? Move back and forth. Look on this west side of your nose, look on that. Are you doing that? Don't look at me, I'm not your nose, Okay. Look at your nose. Now, I want you to stick your tongue out. Look at your tongue. Come on, stick your tongue out. Now go like this, look at your lips. Can you see them? Cool mustache, by the way. Can you see your cheek? Look at your cheek. Can you see them? Yes or no? Yes. Now, now look at your nose again. Now, I want you to think about this as you're doing that. There's somebody inside your physical body that's in there, right? Yes or no? You're in there, and you're inside a shell. You're inside a body. But the real you, have you ever thought about that? The soul is looking in there, you could see yourself? Have you ever thought about it like that? 
You're inside this physical body that God has given you. Now, C.S. Lewis rightly said this. He said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. That's what you have. That's what you really are. And that soul inside of you, it is eternal. And it's going to live forever. And it's going to live forever somewhere. And this physical body, it's what God has given us to manifest in the physical world that we live in right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about after we die, what happens to the body, what happens to the soul that lives inside of us that God has given us, what goes on? We're going to go look at three things this morning, and uh, in point two, we're going to look at for the believer, and then we're going to look at for the unbeliever what's going to happen after we die. Now, how many have ever wondered what happens after you die? I'm just curious. How many? Okay, raise your hand. So I know I'm talking to somebody. Okay, good. So here's the first thing, and you probably figured it out by now. The first thing at death in your notes is separation. Separation from the body. Now, I'm going to have you turn. Now, if you brought your Bibles, you're going to turn to quite a few passages this morning. I typically like to stay in a text, but the, the topic doesn't allow me to. So you're going to be moving around in Scripture. So tomorrow you're going to be sore from doing all that, okay? But trust me, it's a good sore. Now, notice what Paul says, this writer, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, watch what he says. He says, Therefore, being always of good courage knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So while I'm in this physical body, I'm absent from God. For we walk by faith and not by... That's right. Okay, good. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer, rather, to be absent from the... I'd be absent from the body. And to be at home with the... So if I'm absent from the body at death, then I'm at home with God. So this thing inside of me, it leaves my body. Amen to that one? Are you tracking so far? This is what he's saying. Now, go to your right a little bit to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 1. Now watch what Paul adds. And you find Paul making statements like this throughout the New Testament. But watch this one in Philippians chapter 1. When you're there, say I'm there. Okay, good. Look at verse 21 to 24. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is... Okay, we never think about it like that, right? But it is when you put the contrast there. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know what to choose. In other words, I don't know whether to stay in the flesh or to, be, or to die and to go with Christ. Verse 22, 23. He says, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. He says, I really want to go be with Jesus. I've lived my life. I've done what I'm supposed to do for Jesus. I want to go. For that is very much better. And then he adds, verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. In other words, while you and I are here as Christians, our life should be benefiting other people around us because we are the Jesus Christ on earth. We carry the gospel and the good news with us. Any amen to that one? So our life should be beneficial to people around us. So Paul's struggling with this, but he's saying, if I'm absent from the body, when I die, there's something in me that's gonna go, and we know that to be the soul. The soul departs. Now, uh, my, fa- my father passed away 34 years ago. January 1st, about one or two minutes past midnight, January 1st, 1990. He made it into the next decade by like a minute. When I do funerals at the National Cemetery in Riverside, guess where my dad's buried? Once in a while, after the funeral's over, I will go and I will visit my dad's grave. It's rare that I do, but I do it. When I'm there, I may say a word or two to him. Now, when I talk to him there, he's not there. I know he's not there. I know he left 34 years ago, you know, from right now. My dad, at the moment of death, there was a separation, his soul. And I know my dad is with Jesus because I personally got to lead him to the Lord in March of 1989. At the hospital here, the Corona Hospital there on Main Street in Corona, in the emergency room, I led him to the Lord. He had a stroke. So I got to do this, and I, I watched his life transform. He was a different guy from the person that I grew up with. You could see it. You could hear it. 
In fact, one time I walked in on him, and how many remember Channel 40? The Christians say, old timers, raise your hand, please, okay. One time I walked in on him, and he's watching Channel 40, and he's got tears running down his eyes. And I said, what's the matter, Dad? And here's what he told me. This is my dad. And he says, Jimmy. You know, your dad can call you Jimmy. Yeah, right? He says, Jimmy. He goes, why don't people love Jesus? One of the most profound questions ever asked me. And I said, I don't know, Dad. I don't know. But I watched this guy just change. So I know he's in heaven. But when I go to the graveside and say a few words, I know he's not there. He's left. He's gone. There was a separation from the body at the moment of death for the follower of Christ. And he's gone to be in the presence of God. Now, with that said, as I'm studying for this message, there was a question that popped in my mind. And I've been teaching for over 40 years the Bible. And all of a sudden I'm going, I have never thought about this specific question or the answer to this question, but this message prompted me to think about this question. And the question was this, when a follower of Christ dies and the soul leaves the body, huh, at what point does the follower of Christ get his brand new, incorruptible, eternal body? Have you ever thought about that? What's the moment in time when you get that? Because here was my dilemma. When Jesus dies and he rises from the dead, he comes back and he takes that body back, right? And that physical incorruptible body that he has, it can roam on earth as physical because we know he ate fish there on Galilee shores. And it also could enter into heaven and back because we know that from the scriptures. So he gets his body right away, his incorruptible body, and he's moving between dimensions, heaven and earth. He's doing these things. I thought, but wait a minute. When I die, I'm leaving this body, my soul, but I'm not in this realm for a while anyway. So do I get my incorruptible body right away? So I did something that I didn't want to do. Well, first off, I listened to scholars on it, and I like to do that. But then I did something I didn't want to do. My son Dylan, who pastors the Riverside campus, he's entering, he's into his, his Master's of Divinity program, which is not a Master's program, it's a Master's on Steroids program. He has to learn Greek, Hebrew, I think German, and I said, why don't you learn Spanish or Mexican, kid? <laughs> you know, so, but he's a real brainiac, deep thinker type, and the one thing as a dad, I didn't want to ask him, because I've been studying 40 years, you know, I, I didn't want to ask him what he thought about that because he might think he knows more than me, okay? And so I didn't want to, but I asked him, you know, what do you think about this? You know, and of course, you know, here we go. You know, so, but we, we came to some conclusions along with scholars we watched. I thought, when do we actually get this eternal incorruptible body? And here was the answer, the consensus of many scholars and scholar Dylan and myself, okay? And that is, Jesus got his body right away because Jesus needed it right away, correct? You and I, when we pass, we go into the presence of God in that different dimension, heaven, and we won't need the physical, eternal body at that moment, correct? We will not need that physical, incorruptible, eternal body until we come back in the second coming found in Revelation 19. We'll get there today in a moment. So we'll get the physical, eternal body when we need the physical eternal body and it'll be at that time but before that we dwell in heaven we dwell in eternity with Jesus Christ at the wedding supper of the lamb amen to that one now let's move on point two judgment so first separation then judgment judgment of everyone now I'm going to talk to the Christians first and I'm going to talk to the the non-Christian so first let's talk to the Christian turn to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 10 if you have your Bibles you might want to start bringing your Bibles, guys. This is like the compass of your entire life. Now watch it. When you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, say, I'm there. Now watch, Christians. This is very important for the Christian to understand. This is a judgment you and I... By the way, this is called the Bema Seat of Christ. We will stand before Jesus at judgment time as a Christian. The unbelievers will stand before the Father at judgment time later on. But watch this. When we die... Here's what it says. According to the grace of God, which is given to me, like a, this is Paul speaking, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. In other words, be careful how you build your life as a follower of Christ. 
For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Question, does that mean Jesus is the bottom line foundation of our entire life? You better believe he is. And that means his word is. Verse 12. Now if any man builds on the foundation, notice the building materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. You notice the contrast, yes or no? Okay. Comes to play in a second. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, say fire, and the fire itself will test, say test, the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward, say reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. And a great Old Testament picture of that is Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Was he saved as yet through fire? Say yes. He saved, but everything burned up behind him. But he saved, he got out. Verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple? Am I going to verse 16? No, I'm, no, I stopped right there. Sorry about that. Okay, here's what's going on. Okay, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, when I die and my soul leaves my body, that eternal thing inside of me, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And I'm going to be judged on what I did with my life on this side of the grave for Jesus Christ. I'm going to be judged and my, the judgment will be, uh, I'll be rewarded for what I did for Christ. If you noticed the contrast, some of the things he calls gold, silver, precious metals, precious stones, the other side, wood, hay, and straw. Wood, hay, and straw do not survive fire, do they? No, they burn up, so they, they don't pass the test. Gold, silver, precious stones survive the fire, correct? And in fact, you can refine them with fire even more so. So now you see that I could be doing things, just living my life as a Christian for myself, wood, hay, straw, and I get there, I have nothing to show for it. Or I can do things for God, serve God, do something, and I'm accumulating gold, silver, precious stones. So when I stand before Jesus, I'll be rewarded. Now, somebody has told me in the past, I don't care about rewards, which is a cop by to say, I don't need to do anything. I got a question. In fact, I have a lot of questions, but I'll give you one. This is the, the beam and seat, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. So you mean to tell me when you stand before Jesus Christ, the creator, and he looks you in the eye. He said, what'd you do for me while you were alive once you got saved? I don't care about rewards. Would you care about rewards in that moment? You better believe it. Because he'll look at you and I and say, really? Let me get this straight. So I go down there and I die and I take a brutal punishment and I, they, they shed my blood. I did it for you. They buried me. I rise from the dead. I do all this for you. I birth the church in the day of Pentecost. The church. That was my invention, Jesus would say. And you never got involved? You never did anything? You don't even go? Good luck, guy. Good luck. Because you won't be able to tell Jesus anything. Because nothing's going to hold water. Well, Jim, I've been burned by church in the past. Isn't that? Who hasn't been burned? You've been burned by family members. You still hang out with them. You're sitting next to them right now. You've been burned by people at work. You still talk to them. Right? Angel fans and just get burned. We lost Otani. Oh, the Dodger fans clap. Okay. You're going to get burned everywhere. And that way, I'm just kind of, hasn't your spouse ever upset you? You're going to, oh, that's, she burned me. I'm out of here. Oh, really? Good for you, man. What a grown up way to look at life. No. No, he, he's calling us to be involved, to do something with this, and we're going to get rewarded for it. Now, this may shock you, believers. 
But in eternity, when we come back and everything's made new, do you know that we're going to have responsibilities and authority based on what we did right now? Do you know we're going to work? I don't want to work anymore. I'm retired. Stop. You're thinking of work as right now in a fallen, corrupt world. Work is burdensome. Go read Genesis 3, but read Genesis 2 and find out that work wasn't heavy loaded at all. So we're going to carry responsibility and eternity, but it's not like now. Now, I fully expect to be the governor of the high Sierras of California. <laughs> Any amens with that one right there? You want a permit to go backpacking? You come see me, man. You're in, buddy, right there. Except Big Pine Lakes, those are mine. I'll stay away from there. Now, that's the believer's life. Now, let's go to the unbeliever. Check this out. Now, what happens? And by the way, you're only being judged for what you did. Believer, you're not judged for sin. It's not a matter of going to heaven or hell. You're already going. You're already going. So don't worry about that. Now, watch the unbeliever turn to, to Revelation, way to your right, chapter 20. Now, watch this. Revelation 20. When you're there, say, I'm there. It's the last book, way to your right. Okay. Look at chapter 20. Now watch. The unbelievers. Now the first judgment was before Jesus Christ. This judgment is for God the Father. You're standing before God the Father as a non-believer. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. This is called the white throne judgment. The first one was the Bema Seat of Christ judgment. And him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead the great and the small, meaning the well-known, the rich and the famous, and the obscure, and those not known at all, but they're all rejectors of Christ, this particular group. Didn't matter how much money he had, how much money he didn't have. Standing before the throne and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in these books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead, meaning everyone. The sea is everyone which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead. Hell spits out people out of hell at this moment which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Say second death. Very important. The lake of fire is the second death. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Okay, now let, let me talk about this. Okay. Here's what's going to happen for the unbeliever. The unbeliever, when they die, their soul, it goes into hell. Now, some people hate that statement. Somebody's going to say, well, I don't believe in hell. Okay, wait a minute. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Did you know that? He's warning us. And by the way, when somebody, if somebody tells me that, I'm going to say, just because you don't believe it, it's there, just because you've never been there doesn't mean it doesn't exist and then I'll ask somebody how many times have you been wrong in your life up to this point and now you're supposed to be the eternal genius on whether there's a hell or not you've been wrong 300 times in your life on things and now you're the all knowing one no I'll, I'll take my chances with Jesus when a person an unbeliever dies and by the way Jesus sends no one to hell when somebody tells you, oh, Jesus sends people to hell, no, stop them right there. And you tell them this, Jesus sends no one to hell, we send ourselves to hell. Because we reject Jesus' offer of salvation. Just remember that. Listen to the statements they make at you and think logically of what they're saying. When a person enters into hell, they're there. But then, as we read, what happens? There's going to come a moment at the end of what's called the thousand year reign of Christ on earth where God 
is going to, hell's going to spit out everybody in hell. It's called, and he's going to bring them back to life. And he's going to bring them back to life, all these people in hell, to stand before the Father. Christians, we stood before Jesus for rewards. These people will stand before God the Father for condemnation, to be condemned. And at that moment, they will be condemned into eternity in what's called the lake of fire, where the beast, false prophet, are, and the Christ, the lake of fire, and that's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And just for the record, Hebrews 9.27, put it up there. It says, it says, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die, how many times? Once. After this comes judgment. There, listen, listen, listen. There is no purgatory. Okay? There is no baptism for the dead. Okay? You're not going to be reincarnated into some new life. In the, no, it doesn't exist. Once you die, you die. That's it. Comes judgment after that. And don't try to fool God because you can't fool God, right? God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this all is Meaning when God says God is not mocked, it means you can't fool. He's not like your parents. Remember when you fooled your parents? Well, you can't fool God. You try to fool God, it's going to be like, Ah, oh, I thought you had me, huh? Nah. No. You die, that's it. You die, that's it. And then you're condemned on the white throne judgment to an eternity in the lake of fire. That's the two paths right there. The believer for rewards is judged by Jesus. The Father judges the unbelievers or rejectors of Jesus Christ, and they go into eternity in hell. Are you following me so far? Because the soul, that thing inside you, remember, look at your nose? That thing lives forever. It's going to live forever somewhere. It's going to live forever somewhere. Now, number three, here's the best part. Resurrection to a new, eternal, incorruptible body. Don't you just like the sound of that? Nobody? Okay, I'll, I'll convince you in a second because you don't seem like to be convinced. Okay, look at chapter 19 of Revelation. Look at this, verse 11 through 16. And watch what it says. This is the second coming to earth of Jesus Christ. In the first coming... Jesus came, died on the cross, and then he comes again, but he never touches down. In the rapture, he will be in the clouds. This is the second coming. He will come touch down on planet Earth, on the Mount of Olives, in there by Jerusalem, and the mountain will split to east to west. This is when he comes again in the flesh on the earth. It's, a whole, it's going to be awesome, my friends. Now watch. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Do you remember in Revelation 6 some of you that the Antichrist will ride in on a white horse? Anybody remember that? It's because he's a deceiver. He's a copycat. He wants to look like the Messiah during the seven year tribulation. But here comes the real rider of the white horse, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming back to earth in the second coming. It says his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, meaning crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who are the armies coming back with Jesus? That's us, baby. That's you. That's you. We're coming back. We've got our glorified body. We're coming. And we're on white horses. That's why we put the church in Nurkel. Isn't Norco horse capital of the world? Just kind of get. Oh, some of you finally got it, huh? Oh, oh yeah, I got it. Seven second delay. Um, and, and look, I, I don't ride horses, so when I get there, you guys from Norco, you got to show me the way, okay? Otherwise, they go, what happened to Jim? He fell off over there. Past, you know, past Saturn, he just went down. Um, verse 15 From his mouth comes a sharp sword. So, with, so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. There's much there that we go to but I, I just don't have time. And verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. 
we know that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. But here we come. We're not Christians. When we talk about going to heaven, we're not spending eternity in heaven. We're not. We're not going to be floating around on a cloud with little wings and a harp. You go, man, I like harps. I'd rather have an electric guitar plugged into a net. No. No. We're going to come back. Let me show you how it works. We die. Christians, Christians. The soul leaves the body. It goes in the presence of God. Waiting for the moment. At the end of the seven year tribulation period on earth, when all hell breaks loose and the Antichrist is running crazy, trying to get every minute he can. Then at the end of that, Jesus will return in the second coming. We will come back with him. At that moment, we get our eternal, glorified, perfect bodies. Because we're coming back into the physical realm with him. And then we will spend a thousand years on earth the way it looks now but there's no Satan there's no demons there's no evil there's no one breaking the stores there's no one up in the Bay Area breaking in and taking $949 worth of stuff and nobody's arresting them there's no more all the the phony baloney junk of the culture that you're this and you're that and everything none of that anymore can't you wait for that to get somebody with brains leading this thing okay don't get me riled up you're getting me riled up We're coming back and we're spending a thousand years here. And then it's not over. Then at the end of a thousand years, there comes the big white throne judgment we talked about. And that's when all unbelievers cast into eternity, lake of fire, Satan, everybody, it's done. And then everything's recreated. I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, Revelation says. It's a righteous world. It'll be a good world again. Remember last week I talked about Noah's flood? Okay, that was the first um, washing of the way of evil water, but this one's by fire. And everything will be fired up and all recreated. But here's, but here's, the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the good part. We get new bodies. Eternal resurrected bodies. Now, some of the things about that body. Wouldn't you like to know about that body? Yes or no? I don't have to tell you. Okay, in his resurrected body, did Jesus eat? He was cooking fish on the shores of Galilee. He was eaten. We can eat in that body and we don't gain weight. Right? No more one California roll? You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's gone, man. That new body, I better be like 6'4", 225 and chiseled. Not a six pack. I'm going to have a 16 pack. Okay. Seniors. So one of you say, yeah, that's great. When you get your new body, you won't even be old anymore. I expected way more than that. Seniors, and then when you get together with other people, you, you won't even be devolved into talking about your medications. Because you know how seniors are, right? You ever been around seniors? I'm a senior now, so I know how it works. Whenever I show up late to any seniors gathering, I go, have we talked about our medications yet? I do it jokingly. Because seniors do that all the time. Or else we, devol- we start talking about, oh, yeah, I rolled over in bed and broke my arm. No, I'm just going, <laughs> you know, that's what we do, you know. So, no, it's not gonna, you're going to have this brand new body, no aches and pains, nothing. Look, think about this. What don't you like about your looks? One, two, three things. It will be fixed. One person went like that. The rest of you are so accepting of yourself. Okay, God bless you. Here's the one that gets me too. I'll never have to look on TV and see those little kids with cancer at hospitals. That'll never happen again. Praise the Lord. We get to catch up and talk to people who were believers on earth and they're in heaven. I can't wait to talk to my mom and my dad because I know they're both saved and they're there. And here's why I really want to talk to my dad because I told you my dad died January 1st, 1990. The church birthed in 1992 out of my house. My wife and I took a big risk. But my dad never got to see the church. He never got to see us buy land. He never got to see it grow. He never got to see the building. 
He never got to see us acquire Harupa campus or start the Riverside campus. He never got to see us build the Zacatecas campus in Mexico. Don't you love the way I say Zacatecas? <laughs> Don't you love when, when journalists talk about, you know, here in America and they say a Spanish word, and then Zacatecas, and then they go back to the regular. <laughs> Isn't that true? Right? They always have to have an accent when they say it. But I want to tell them, look, Dad, here's everything I did. Here's what your boy did with God's help. I want to be able to tell them that. My mom, she passed away 10 years in the church. She never saw the land. She never saw the building. Anyone remember my mom? Do you remember my mom writing a tithe check out here? I'm not kidding. Back when you sign checks for tithe, I'd be sitting there praying for people to get saved, and I could hear, she's written, the, I hear this, rip. <laughs> mom, mom, not at this moment, okay. But she'd do it all the time. But let me, let me tell you the greatest thing. It's going to be a great reset when everything's said and done. Whatever you think is a beautiful place on earth right now, trash compared to what it's going to be. This is a fallen, corrupt world. Never forget that. I've been to Niagara Falls. I've been to Yellowstone. I've been to Sedona. I've been to Narco. No, I'm just joking. I've been to Yosemite, Sequoia, Kings Canyon. I've driven the coast of California, driven the coast of Oregon. I've gotten to see some pretty cool places in this world. Not done. But as beautiful as they are, it's still a fallen world. And everything's going to be recreated. And it's going to be so awesome. What's it going to be like? I'll finish with this. I'm a movie guy. I hope you never get tired of that statement. When I was a kid, I've said this before, when the Wizard of Oz would come out, yeah, back in the early 60s when it would come out, and no, I wasn't born when it was made, so, but in the early 60s, it would come out once a year. How many remember that? Once a year. And you waited for that to come out. And if you missed it, you're out of luck, buddy. Today you can watch it every other hour if you want to. Not us. And we watched it on black and white TVs back then. And we, we couldn't wait. And then that moment came when my parents got a color TV. And I remember the first movie I saw on color TV, it was called Prince Valiant. Anyone remember that movie? Prince Valiant. That was the first movie I saw on color. And there was fire, and I go, oh, this is amazing. But I remember watching The Wizard of Oz in color. And that moment, the house lands on the Wicked Witch of the West. Because everything before that's black and white, right? And that's all I ever knew because, hey, you know, we only had a black and white TV. And then we got the color TV. The, it was an Admiral color TV. Anybody remember Admiral TVs? It means you're old. Okay, thank you. And that moment, the Dorothy, we have our color TV, and she opens the door. And I'm like, oh, all the color, and we represent. Now, don't do that again. It's all color. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And what does Dorothy realize in the moment that you realize she's not in Kansas anymore? And the moment we get into eternity, guys, get the glorified body, and Jesus burns it all up and recreates the entire universe and the earth the way it should be, you're going to know you're not in Kansas anymore. And nothing's ever going to change that because that's the way things are going to play out for the rest of eternity as a follower of Christ. Here's my last thought, because it's not in my notes, but I thought about it in first service. It's important. You know the thing in your life that you hoped for, but it never came to pass? You know the disappointment that you thought life was going to play out this way? but it didn't and it played out that way. You all know what I'm talking about, huh? And then you got older and it's like, well, that's not going to happen the way I thought, the way I hoped. In eternity with Jesus, everything that we were disappointed with life in here in this fallen, corrupt, sinful world, it'll be the great reset and everything you ever hoped for. All the disappointments of life that we all carry, they'll be gone. 
they'll be gone because nothing will compare to what we're going to experience. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has he entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be awesome. Amen. Series over. Del Campo out. I just love saying that, okay? Let's pray. No moving around, please. Now, I've given you a quick overview of what happens after we die as a believer or unbeliever. But if you're not a believer in Christ, come on, friend. Come on, friend. Don't risk it. Put your faith in Jesus. And what I mean by put your faith in him, it doesn't mean, uh, yeah, I, I believe there's God. That's not going to cut any ice with God. You must believe in the God-man, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah who came to earth, went to a cross, took, he was a substitute for you and me and, and us who deserve hell, and he carried our sins on that cross, and he shed his blood that we could be forgiven, and they killed him, and they buried him, and they rose from the dead. That's the God. That's what you got to believe. Well, Jim, it's hard for me to believe somebody could rise from the dead. Oh, it's easy for you to believe that the whole universe was created from nothing by a big explosion? How does nothing explode? Come on, friend. It's easier to believe in that. And we have eyewitnesses from the first century who wrote these things down. Nine eyewitnesses, 27 documents. They saw it. They wrote about it. Well, Jim, they could have, could have been making it up. So they all decided to give their life up for a big lie. Don't people do that today, Jim? Don't crazy people go, religious people go, and they die because of what they believe? Yeah, but these people, you're saying that they died because, they, I'm sorry, these people died because of what they saw, what they experienced. They saw Jesus. That's a big, that's a different ball game. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, today's a day. I did it 44 plus years ago and I've never regretted it. I was a young man involved in all the sin you can imagine you're into right now and I've never regretted changing my life because this life is way better and eternity is unbelievable. So if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus because you never have, meaning you're going to become a follower of Christ, you're going to ask him to forgive you of your sins. You're going to believe Jesus is God in the flesh, that he died for you and rose from the dead. And you're going to follow him. You're going to give him your life. You're going to follow him. You're going to be governed by the Bible, the word of God. And right now is your moment, friend. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let any light come into your head. Nobody's going to stand with you in eternity. You're going to be by yourself. Or maybe you backslid. And you used to follow Christ. You used to be on fire and you walked away? Come on, man. What are you doing? It's time to plug back in, put your hand to the plow, and don't look back. So with that said, if you've never placed your faith in Christ and you'd like to, or you backslid, you want to rededicate your life, I want you to do this one thing as a sign between you, me, and God. I want you to open up your eyes right now, right where you're sitting. And I want you to look at me right now. I'm going to look back at you. When our eyes meet, you can close them. But do it right now as I look around the room. Now those who looked up at me, I want you to repeat this prayer. This prayer is very important. Because you're going to put your faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You're going to ask Him to take over your life. You're going to follow Him. You're going to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And the Spirit of God is going to come dwell in you. That's why it's so important. So here we go. I want, every, I want you to repeat after me, those who looked up, and everybody here, say it out loud with them so they're not alone. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross, taking my place because of my sins. Thank you for shedding your blood to save me. Forgive me of my sins and I know I'm forgiven. Today I choose to follow you with my whole life. 
Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray for you. God, I pray for everybody looked up. I pray for you, friend. Follow Christ now. Don't veer off. You have to follow up on it. If you really believe something, you follow up on it. Jesus followed up on every promise he made to come and save you. Now you follow up on your promise to him now. Get into church. Get a Bible. Start reading. If you don't have one, we have one. Our prayer partners will get you one after service or at the welcome desk. Start reading the New Testament. Stay there for a couple years. Start to grow. You cannot make it on your own outside of being in a local church. Get in one that actually teaches the Bible if you're from out of town. Ours is a good one. God, I pray for all those that looked up, Lord. Plead the blood of Jesus over them. Lord, that they will experience you and your love in ways that they never thought possible. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for all heaven rejoices in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen and amen. Stand up, everybody, with me. Here we go. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Hey, guys, next week we begin the letter to Ephesians. God bless you. Have a great day. Prayer partners are here. My left, your right. Go get some prayer if you need it. God bless you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.